Well, I had a, uh, a close friend growing up in, in uh, elementary school and middle school. His name was Randy Pashad. It made it easy for me to have somebody with the same, last, or same name as I had. His last name was a little peculiar. I think I was the only one in fifth grade that could spell it, Pashada, P-I-S-C-I-O-T-T-A, just like it sounds. Uh, Italian family, his mom made the best spaghetti and meatballs ever in the world of making spaghetti and meatballs. That has nothing to do with the sermon, just a little extra information for you today. If you can find Miss Pashada and get her to make you some spaghetti and meatballs, it'd be worth your time. But uh, Randy was not only a close friend of mine, he was also the person that I got usually into trouble with. That was mostly his fault. I think I was just kind of drug along. But uh, one night, Randy and I were spending the night together, and it was getting late at night. I think we were supposed to have probably been a, a, you know, asleep by then. But, but Randy and I were talking, and we remembered, we realized that one of our close friends, a guy by the name of Bobby, was at home alone uh, that night. Nobody was in his house but him, and we thought, hey, what a good opportunity to go over his house and you know, scare him so that he's permanently scarred and, and never, never really gets over it. And so we, did, we decided to do that, so we... Uh, we snuck out of Randy's house, which I had done before and been grounded for before. But uh, we snuck out of his house and we made our way over to, to Bobby's house and we climbed up onto the roof and, and then onto a balcony and then we, we broke into his house. It, I guess I was, probably shouldn't confess that right now. Uh, I was 12. Let's just keep that in mind. So I break into his house and, and while we're doing this, we're, we're purposely making a lot of noise. I mean, the goal is to scare him. And so we, we get into this, this room, it was a bedroom, and, and the bedroom is all down at this end of the hallway by itself, and then it went down a hallway, and the hallway looked over into the living room, and then at the other end of the hallway was, was all the other bedrooms upstairs. And so I'm, I'm in this dark room, and I look out to see if I can see what, what Bobby's doing. And I see him going up the stairs into the bedrooms that will be over there, and then coming the hallway down us. And he is, he is clearly scared to death. He, he, he thinks that somebody's breaking into the house. So we, we have, you know, we're almost there. We're almost at mission accomplished. We just need him to come down in the dark room. And we just, you know, jump out and do what a 12-year-old would probably do to another 12-year-old. And scare him to death. And so uh, we're pretty excited about how this is working. There's just one minor little problem. As Bobby comes running down the hallway toward us, he's carrying a shotgun. Now, what, pray tell, a 12-year-old is doing with a shotgun, I don't know. But this 12-year-old stopped and did the math on that real quick and thought, you know, this might not turn out so well. And so uh, we now, Randy and I, are now probably just as scared as Bobby. And so I'm thinking shotgun, all he's got to do is just, you know, be in the general direction. So we drop down to the floor and we're screaming, crying, Bobby, Bobby, it's Randy and Randy, don't shoot. So he, he comes in, he, he, he hears us, he comes in and turns on the light with the shotgun still in hand. And he cusses us up one side and down the other. I mean, and I'll tell you something, folks, as I laid there on the ground, those are the best cuss words I've ever heard in my life. Honestly, I was glad to be hearing any words. I mean, I literally, it probably wasn't long, but I had a good three to five seconds where I thought, I, I'm going to be shot and killed right here in Bobby's sister's room. Uh, I, this, is, this is not going to be good. And so the fact I could hear any words was really an overwhelming sense of relief. Have you ever had that? Have you ever heard some words that gave you an overwhelming sense of relief? I hope they were not cuss words. Maybe they were words like, you're cured, or you're freed. Or you passed, or you won, or like a lot of folks want to hear today, you got the job. 
Man, when we hear these words, these, these are words that give us a, man, it, you know, I got a new lease on life. These, these are words that give hope, that give life, that, that get us off the hook. Words that get us out of trouble. I mean, these are words that in that moment, it sounds like the, all of life is, is just in those words right there. Folks, that's the kind of emotion we ought to be feeling right now as we're moving our way through Romans. Do you remember what we heard back in chapter 1, verse 18? I mean, we saw that God's wrath is being revealed against the godless and the unrighteous. And as those verses began to unfold, we realized that the godless and unrighteous he was talking about was you. It was me. It's all of us. Romans 3.10 said there are none, not even a single one, who is righteous, who is in right standing with God. And, and a lot of us, maybe all of us, have tried to fix this in some way or another. Maybe through our intelligence. Maybe through our morality. Maybe through our religiosity. Guess what? Romans 1-3 through 3 dealt with every one of those things and showed how we came up short. How we continued to fall short of God's glory. Folks, we're in trouble I mean, this is not good. But then we heard those words. Words we should memorize. Romans 3.28. Those words that said, you can be justified. You can be declared righteous. Not by how hard you work. Not by what you accomplish or do. But by faith. By faith. And with that huge sense of relief, if you're understanding what these, what these chapters, what these verses are teaching, to get to 328, you have to feel a huge sense of relief. And so then we move into chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Paul begins to elaborate on this faith. Basically, I think, showing us, hey, this isn't a new idea. This isn't a new direction that God is going. Man, go all the way back. And he took us back to Abraham. I mean, Genesis 12, we're back at the very beginning of the Bible and where this story starts. And, and he shows this Abraham there being declared righteous, being justified, not by his religiosity, not by his morality, not by his works, but by faith. Paul says this is the way it's always been. This has always been what God is doing. And then shows us, man, it's not a, even a perfect faith. That's what we looked at last week. What an encouragement that was. I don't have a perfect faith. Man, I falter, I trip, but so did Abraham. It's not a perfect faith, but you know what? It was a faith that never stopped believing. It was a faith that never stopped holding on to God. A, a faith that never stopped seeking after God. And so now we, we roll into chapter 5. I mean, Paul's got us ingrained. We've, we've been declared righteous. We're locked in. We've got this. And so now he begins to unfold, the, if you will, the benefits all that comes with being declared righteous. Now, honestly, folks, I think it's cool enough just to be off the hook. But God did a little bit more here, folks, than just get us off the hook. God has got brought a lot of things to us. And Romans chapter 5 begins to unwrap that for us. So let's look at that. Look with me at, how'd that happen? When that table get here? Okay, I'm just, that table wasn't there when I set my Bible down, but now it is. All right, I'm sorry, I'm back. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. Hope you'll grab one and study along with us. Romans chapter 5, we're looking at five verses today. Romans 5, verse 1. It says this. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith. There it is again. 
We've seen that. Remember, a while back I showed you several verses over and over and over, making it clear we're not saved by our works, we're not saved by our religiosity. We're saved, we're declared righteous by God, by our faith, by our trust in Him and what He's done, not what we've done. Therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, we have obtained access by faith, into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Folks, I think if you really stop and ponder the wrath of God, eternal hell, eternal punishment, I mean, when you stop and think about what that is, and to think now that to no credit of our own, to no work of our own, we're off the hook. We do not have to live in fear of that anymore. Man, that's enough. I mean, to miss hell and make heaven is enough. But you know what? God's work, God's love, God's graciousness and kindness has done so much more than just get us off the hook. And and Romans chapter 5 begins to unfold for us what else God has done. Now, this isn't a comprehensive list. This is just a start of some of the benefits that come if you've been declared righteous. Now, if you've not been declared righteous... If that step of faith has not happened in your life, then these things are not true of you. They're true for those who have been declared righteous. And it says three things. One, the peace of God. Two, access to God. And three, the hope of glory. Now let's think about what these three things are. First of all, we have the the peace of God. Now let's think about the peace of God in light of what we've already heard this morning. We know that what we have coming to us deservedly and rightly is wrath. We know that we are viewed by God as godless and unrighteous. If you look down at your passage, you look at verse 10, you see another place where God is showing how he views us. Verse 10 calls us enemies of God. Folks, we're in trouble. Do you see that? This is not a good thing. So when it says we now have the peace of God, it's talking about a whole lot more than an an inner tranquility and a cup of tea. Man, folks, the peace of God means that the wrath I deserved is gone. The the, the peace of God means the enmity, the hostility between me and God is gone. The peace of God means any fear of the future, any fear of standing before a God of wrath, that's all gone. Man, I'm in right standing with God now. Everything is okay. I've got peace with God. Peace with God is the immediate effect Of being declared righteous. Second thing it says we have is access to God. That word access in the Greek language, it's the word prosagogue, and it means introduction. You say, well, what does introduction have to do with access? Well, that word was a word that pictured, maybe you've seen this in a movie, maybe you've been before a royal court before or not. I, I don't know, I mean, not a lot of us have. But maybe you've seen a movie, you know, before somebody comes before a king and a queen, they're announced, aren't they? They're given an introduction. Somebody will say, uh, your royal highness introducing Mr. or or Prince or whatever. They'll give them some introduction. That introduction implies that that person has permission to be there. That introduction implies that they have permission to speak. 
So when it says we have access, it's referring that we've been given an introduction to God. We have permission to be there. We have permission to speak. And a whole lot more than before a king, a queen, we have access before the the king of all kings. And it says that we have a, a position where we stand. That word stand there is a word that implies permanence. I mean, folks, this is not a situation where you've been given a chance to talk to God. Now, you better sit down and think out what you're going to say. you got three minutes when you're in there. you you got three minutes. Don't mess this up. Man, this is your one chance to talk to somebody who can do something about it. No, you, you don't have just three minutes. You don't have to, to oh my gosh, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? you you got a permanent standing. You stand there in confidence. And it says you got a position of grace. You and I are not coming before this king trying to, you know, to try to make some kind of case that, God, oh, man, I hope you'll listen to me. I hope you'll do what I, I'm asking. I, I, I think you're probably angry with me. You know, and so we're, maybe we're there scared and we're trying. No, we're, we're in a position of grace. We have the king's favor. When we come before him, we have his smile. He wants to know what we want. He wants to know what we want to talk about. He's excited about this. And we stand there, it says, by faith. In other words, my confidence is not in how good I'm doing. Boy, look how I had a good week. I deserve to stand here and talk to God. Boy, I I did something really good yesterday. I I deserve to come before God. No, as we stand there, our confidence is not in how good we are or how good we're trying to be. Our confidence is how good He is. Our confidence is in the good work that He's done so that I can stand there before God. So we have access. This access, man, this talks about our relationship, the permanence of this relationship. This talks about our prayer life uh, and, the, and the open door that we have with the living God. So we have peace, we have access, and then it says we have the hope of glory. Now you remember last time we talked about how, the, how we use the word faith versus what it means in the Bible. And there's a difference. And, and the same is true of the word hope. In, in our culture, in our definition, hope is defined by wishful thinking, isn't it? If you say you hope for something, you know, boy, I hope I'm going to get this for Christmas. I might get it, and I might not get it. But boy, that's what I'm hoping for. I, I mean, there's really a sense of, I, I don't know if this is going to happen or not, but it's what I would like. It's wishful thinking. That is not the definition of the word you're reading there in your Bible. Hope in the, in the Greek language, in the New Testament language, has more the idea of an assured expectation. You're counting on it. This is something you're looking forward to because you know it's going to happen. You know, if you have a, uh, if you have a, a ticket to something, you know, you have then the hope of a seat, right? That, that's not wishful thinking. You know you have that. Now, it's not my seat, But if I get there next Sunday at 1 o'clock, I have the hope, I have the assured expectation that that seat is mine. Now, at 1 o'clock today, somebody else is sitting in it. By the way, I I don't have a ticket to the Redskins game next week. If you have one and you want to give it to me, I'll see what I can do. But, But if I had a ticket next week, there might be somebody sitting in that seat. It's not my seat. I, I don't own that seat. But this ticket says I own it next Sunday from 1 to 3, 1 to 4. That's an assured expectation. This ticket gives me a hope. So when it says here that we have the the hope, we have the assured expectation of what? Of glory. Now what's glory? Glory is that state where everything is where it's supposed to be. 
This is where good triumphs over evil. This is where justice is done. This is where sin is no more. This is where all tears are wiped away. This is where death is gone. This is where everything in the universe, every living creature is living in harmony with God's holy character, living in harmony with God's holy will. Man, this is where we want to be. Now, folks, you know why that's so important to have this hope? Because that's not where we are today, is it? That's not where we are today. Justice does not always happen. You know, I say, well, you know what? Everything works out good. No, actually, I've seen some things not work out well at all. Yeah, now, everything and everything God will do good. Yeah, but there are some things in this world that don't work out good. I mean, we don't enjoy, I mean, is that true, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, not everything's the way it should be here. But as you and I walk through this world where it hurts, where it stings, where people die and where things go wrong and things break, as we walk through this, you and I always have that hope if we've been declared righteous. We always have that assured expectation. This day is not the final day. This day is not the final chapter. That's going to be in glory. We have that hope. We have that confidence So, being declared righteous has reached back to my past. It's fixed all the wrong. And so I have peace with God. Being declared righteous has moved into my present, has moved into today and given me access to God, given given me grace in the presence of God. And being declared righteous has reached into my future. And it's given me an assured expectation that everything is going to be made right. Now, when you look at those things, you can rejoice, can't you? I mean, that, that's pre- am I the only one who thinks that's pretty cool? Thank you, Lord. Anybody? Yeah, thank you, Jesus. I'll take all that stuff. Sign. sign well, th- yeah, there we go. Yeah, I had, <laughs> had to nurse it a little bit, but we're there. Okay, yeah, Jesus signed me up for all that stuff. Man, yeah, I can rejoice in that. And, and so we're flowing along in this path. I'll rejoice in that. I'll rejoice in that. I'll rejoice in that. And then all of a sudden in verse 3, man, he throws a huge curveball. And he starts talking about rejoicing in suffering, in, in affliction, in persecution. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's go back to that other stuff. That other stuff was fun. That other stuff is good. I don't want to talk about rejoicing in this. I don't, I don't want to rejoice in that. Now, what's, what's going on here? Well, first of all, we've got to understand the suffering that he's talking about. We suffer for different reasons. Sometimes we suffer because we're just dumb. You know what I'm talking about? We just do something dumb. We do something we shouldn't have done. And we suffer. Anybody been there? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, a couple of us. You know, in the first hour, there was only one other person, Frank. Me and Frank were the only ones that ever done anything stupid. <laughs> we're the only ones that ever done anything. But you know what? That is a part of our suffering, isn't it? We suffer because we make some bad decisions. We suffer because we make some sinful decisions, some wrong decisions. So that's one kind of suffering. That's not what we're just talking about right here in Romans 5. The Bible addresses that kind of suffering and what it can be and what it can do, but but not here. Another kind of suffering is kind of what I just talked about, walking through a fallen world where things break, where people die, where things don't always work out like they should. That brings some suffering into life, doesn't it? It's not talking about that suffering either. The Bible addresses that kind of suffering, talks about that, but not not here. This kind of suffering, this is a suffering that comes with seeking to be a Christ follower in a godless world. The suffering that comes because we're seeking to follow Christ in this world. Now, if we're Christ followers, then we're following Christ, right? Are y'all with me on that math? Okay, so if I'm following him, I'm going where he went. Y'all remember the path he took and called us to? 
Look up here a couple of verses. The entire New Testament talks about this very fluidly, very consistently. Luke 24, 46. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things before He did what? Before He entered what? Glory. Yeah. Before the glory. Now where are we going? Hey, we're going to glory too, aren't we? We just said that. Man, I, got, I got the assured expectation of glory. Hey, that's where Jesus went. That's where I'm going. But there was a path He took to get there. There was a path he was on, and it was one of suffering. And not only are we, you know, metaphorically his followers, and so, yeah, that might include some suffering. No, he's actually called us to this. You, you, you read John chapter 16, and it's talking about, I mean, John 16 takes place the night before he's going to be arrested. It takes place in the, upper's room, the upper room, and he's telling these guys, I'm going to tell you something, I'm, I'm going to be gone tomorrow, and stuff's going to fall out on you. I mean, you're going to be arrested, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be chased. Uh, it's going to be rough. It's going to be difficult. And so he's explaining all that. He's explaining the help that he's going to send us. There's a lot about the Holy Spirit in John 16. So he's talking about all that. And then the last verse in John 16 is, And I've told you these things so that in me, not in the circumstances of the world, not in whether everybody applauds you or loves you. You know, the circumstances of the world have a lot to do with our peace, don't they? I mean, we're really looking to some certain things happening this week and, and that'll give us peace. That'll give us well-being. That'll give us a sense of happiness. It's so easy for us to, to anchor our life to the circumstances of this world. And, and for a moment, they can kind of cover things up. In a moment, they can kind of make things good. But it's just a moment. And so Jesus is warning us and He says, man, don't do that. Your peace is to be found in Me. Anchor your life to Me. Tie yourself to Me. Put your confidence, your hope, your vision in Me. He says, I've told you these so that you may have in Me peace. In this world, you'll have what? Suffering. Suffering. That's English. You can go ahead and you can say it out loud. In this world, you'll have what? Suffering. I mean, He says that so clear. Isn't it interesting that we act so shocked when we suffer? Oh my gosh, where'd that come from? Oh no, God's abandoned me. Oh, I thought this Christianity thing was just about, you know, being happy and wealthy and, and never sick again. What, what is, no, I mean, Jesus said it very clearly. And he joins a lot of the rest of the New Testament saying that very clearly. You will have suffering in this world. Now he says, now don't worry about that. I've whooped this world and one day you're going to whoop them too. But that day ain't yet. Right now, there's a road we're going to walk, and in that, there is suffering. This is a very consistent and clear message of the New Testament. and all of it, you and I are told to rejoice. Okay, now, rejoice doesn't mean we go look for suffering. You know, you're never commanded to go find it and bring it upon yourself. Uh, rejoicing doesn't mean we go out in the world and seek to be the most annoying Christ follower in the world so that the world wants to kill us. Y'all know any followers of Christ like that? Just annoying about it. You just go, oh my gosh, no, I'm not, no, I'm not one of them. No, it doesn't mean that. Rejoicing in suffering, folks, means that we trust God with this. You know, we're not, we're not masochists. We don't love pain. We're, we're not called to be stoics who just kind of grit our teeth, buckle up and bear it and endure the pain. No, we're, we're Christians who believe that in our suffering there is a, a gracious and divine purpose. There is a God working. There's a God that's accomplishing something. As a matter of fact, he says that in our suffering, and this is why we would rejoice, 
There's going to be some benefits. There's going to be some things produced in our life. As a matter of fact, he talks about three things. Each one leads to the other. He says, first of all, your afflictions, your persecution, your suffering, it's going to produce endurance. Now, that one kind of confused me for a moment because I thought, no, now, wait a minute, Lord. I need endurance to get through suffering, right? Isn't that what endure means? To bear up, to hold up, to be able to survive hard times and pressures? And so you're saying going through hard times will give me endurance. Lord, I need the endurance to go through it. And then I start to realize, you know, there's a lot of things that work this way. You know, my body needs antibodies to fight disease, right? Do you know when your body produces antibodies? When you have disease. It happens in tandem. It goes hand in hand. You know, an endurance athlete, when they want to be prepared for the suffering of competition... They will take on suffering beforehand joyously to break their body down. Why? So that they're prepared. So it produces. Sometimes the very thing we're looking for is produced in suffering. It's produced in the hardness. And so it is in the suffering that endurance will be produced. And when we endure... When we walk through this suffering, we don't let go of God. We keep trusting. We're rejoicing. We're doing what God has said to do in the midst of suffering. Did you know he he gives us a list of things to do in suffering? That's not the focus of my sermon today, but I'll give you some great reading this week. First and second Peter. First and second Peter of the New Testament. First Peter's five chapters. Second Peter's three chapters. The whole eight chapters. It won't take you 20 minutes to read. And both of those books are about being Christ followers in a godless world. Being Christ followers where you're going to be made fun of for that, looked over for that, beaten up for that, mocked for that. First Peter and Second Peter are going to talk about how do you think in the midst of that? What do you look forward to in the midst of that? How do you respond to that? First and Second Peter give very specific instruction. So when we follow God's commands there, when we rejoice, we trust, we follow God's method, endurance is going to be produced in our life. Now when we endure... When we come through that suffering, guess what happens? Our character is proven. It says endurance will prove character. That word prove is the word that is used uh, for turning up the fire on metals. If you want to find out what you really have in the metal, then you turn up the fire, you purify it, and you find out, do I have real gold here? Do I have real silver here? And until you turn up that flame, until you turn up the heat and the pressure, you're not going to know what you have. But when you turn it up, there's an opportunity for joy in there. Hey man, look at this, i got real gold. The fire proved it. I've got real gold. I've got real silver. So it is actually the fire of suffering. It's the ability to endure that gives us that opportunity. Folks, when the fire of pressure is turned up in your life, When there's persecution in your life. And what's produced is the character of God. What is produced is grace and kindness and forgiveness. Man, you can look at that and all of a sudden you can stand back and say, Hey man, look at that. I'm I'm the real thing. I'm a real Christ follower. And I'm not talking about boasting. I'm not talking about pride here in me and what I've done. I'm talking about an excitement in what God is doing. I'm talking about a confidence and excitement. Man, I can't do this. This isn't me. So if this is happening, man, God is working in my life. God is producing in my life. I'm clearly on the path that he has for my life. And so now proven character gives me what? Hope. 
I've got that assured expectation. Man, I'm God's child. I'm God's project and He is working and I'm on that path to glory. You see it? If I endure, if I endure, if I hold on to God, if I stay with God all the way through this, that proves my character. That proves there is a God working in my life. And that proven character now gives me hope. An assured expectation that that glory talked about in verse 2 actually is getting closer and closer. That is my future. Now think about just the opposite of that. If, if I'm in that fire and I bail, if I'm in that fire and, and I say, you know what, I really don't have the characteristics of God when, when the going gets tough. I'm nearly not responding like God. I'm not growing. Guess what? I don't have hope now. Folks, do we remember, do we realize that the Christian life is a little bit more than making a decision for Jesus? Do we remember that? As a matter of fact, you know that nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, oh, would you make a decision about me? Please, 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 just make a decision about... He doesn't say that. He says, come follow me. And in that process of following, folks, we're to grow. I should be able to look back in my life. You should be able to look back in my life. I should look back over the last five, one year, five years. My gosh, if we've been a believer for 20 or 30 years, we should be able to look back. And you know what? I should see there might be some trips. There, there might be some low moments. There might, oh boy, whew, forget that year. I didn't do good at all. But generally speaking, I should be able to step back and look at a big picture and I should see growth. There should be a change of attitudes. A change in the way I talk, a change in the way I respond, a change in my values. I should see the characteristics of God being developing in my life, ripening in my life, maturing in my life. Folks, if you're not seeing that happen, you should question whether you're a genuine child of God. If you're not seeing growth and development, you should question whether you're genuinely saved. Another great reading assignment, 1 John. That's what it's all about. Let me tell you something. If sin and godlessness and worldliness is more characteristic of who you are, if that's the fruit being produced in your life, rather than the character of God and His desire and His purposes, if that's more your life, don't think, oh, I made a decision back there, so I'm okay. The further you walk in that, the more you should question whether you're genuinely saved. I'm not talking about losing salvation. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I do believe you can stray. But the more you stray, the further you stray, the more you should question whether you're a genuine child of God. Now look, at if that's where I am, man, I look back and there's just, there's, there's just not a lot like God in me. There's not a lot of change. There's not a lot of growth. I now have the exact opposite of hope. I now have insecurity. I, I now have fear. I now have doubt. There, 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 there's question. This is all the exact opposite of what God's wanting to provide for me in declaring me righteous. He wanted me to have hope. He's wanting me to have an assured expectation that, that glory is my future. And folks, would you believe that suffering may be your best opportunity and my best opportunity to run this path that lands on hope. It may be suffering that gives us our clearest insight to whether God's really growing in our lives, really working in our lives, and we're responding as we should to that. Well, let me say it again, folks. I, I think to really ponder what was our future, what we were outside of Christ... 
And to think now I'm off the hook. What an amazing thing. What an opportunity to rejoice. But folks, God has so much more for you than to be off the hook, than to just be out of trouble. God has for you friendship. God has for you a favorable standing in His presence permanently. What He has for you permanently is a smile. You know what God has for you? He has hope, confidence, security. In my life, in this world, it is going to work out. It is going to get fixed. Whatever I have to deal with today, whatever I have to deal with this week, that is my assured expectation. Is that pretty cool? (laughs) Is that pretty awesome what God gives us? Should that show up in my life this week? Should it show up in your life and in my life and how we live and how we respond that we've been declared righteous, that I've got friendship with God, a favorable standing before God, that I've got the hope that I have? Shouldn't that show up? Even, even if we're suffering. See where Paul's tying it all together now? Look where you were. Look what you have. What a relief. But so much more than that. So much more. And it ought to show up in how you live tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray it would. I pray it would show up in my life. Lord, I know I, 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 sometimes I respond the way I shouldn't respond out of fear because I, I, I'm not living in the security of the future I have. I'm not living in the security of your friendship and your love. And in uncertainty and undoubt, we can lash out in anger. We can lash out in jealousy. We can lash out in greed and envy. We want to fight and we want to get revenge. We want to make it all about right here and right now. And I won't rest. I won't wait. I won't leave vengeance in your hands to do with as you want to do in your time and in your way. God, I think a lot of us in here, maybe all of us can confess that we, we might have been happy this week. We might have been joyful this week. But it, for a lot of us, it wasn't about heaven. We're so much trying to find our joy, our hope, our happiness, our well-being in the stuff of this world. How things are going to turn out. And we miss what you've said over and over and over. We miss what you've said so clearly. Father, I pray that I would grow in my faith and my confidence in you. And I pray that in that growth I can walk through this world as a Christ follower. And I know that if I'm genuinely doing that, there's going to be suffering. I'm thankful, God, that in our culture, that at least for the present, that doesn't mean I have to fear being arrested or executed. Gosh, Lord, I lift up those believers right now today in our world who that's what, that's what being a Christ follower does mean for them. But Lord, whatever that means, I... I I want it to be proved that I'm the real deal, the real article. I'm a genuine follower of you. I want the hope of that. So Lord, I pray you're growing in my life. I I, I pray that I'm yielding that control. I pray that I'm turning from sin and self. 
And that your declaration of righteousness is going to produce these things in my life that you have for me. May it be so, Lord Jesus, for me, for every one of us in here. Lord, I pray for every one of us in here that every single day this week, we're going to think, what should it look like how I live today in light of all that I have? How should I respond to that person? How should I act in that situation in light of all that I have? I pray that every one of us thinks about that. And that God, you give us the faith and courage to live like it in every one of those situations every day this week. We'll need your help. <laughs> I thank you for the Holy Spirit that will be there to whisper in my ear, to guide me that way, to give me the strength to do that. May it be so, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.